Welcome to Wizard Team, a Harry Potter cast for true Potterheads. Usually each week we discuss a chapter from the Harry Potter series, but today we're doing something a little bit different. I'm Robin. And I'm Bayana. Today we're doing another bonus episode, um, episode 28 and three quarters, Pottermore edition part three, History of Magic in North America. We couldn't make it the streets this time, didn't make sense. I'm kind of sad. It's going to happen. We're going to have a Pottermore edition the streets. Just so you know. Anyway, as you know, we got some new Pottermore content, so we'll be using this episode to talk about it, along with our guest, Johnny J of A Tribe Called Geeks. Um, before that, though, we'll have our regular announcements. Um, so you can use the hashtag wizard team on Twitter to like follow along and join the conversation. Um, you can also tag and follow us at We Black and Nerds. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be black at Hogwarts? Do you want to write about it? Well, we're working on a project called Hogwarts BSU, a collection of stories, antidotes, and fan art, and more, illustrating what it would like to, what it would be like to be a black Hogwarts student. So, if you would like to submit, check out the website for guidelines. Um, love our blog, love Wizard Team. Have a few extra galleons lying around. Um, we are on Patreon, so you can go to www.patreon.com/forward/slash/blackgirlsnerdout if you would like to donate to us. Um, and help us get our funds up so that we can do more awesome things. Like this extra bonus episode. Right. <laughs> if you want to support us but can't commit to a monthly donation, we also have an Amazon affiliate link where you can do go about your regular shopping and we get a little money from it. So no extra money from you, but still extra money for us. So you're going to want to go to our link, amzn.to slash bgno. Um, we also set up a PayPal account, um, paypal.me forward slash BGNO. Um, so clearly is we're trying to make it as easy <laughs> as possible. Again, if you can't give anything, it's totally cool. You're still on the team. Um, but if you can, that's also awesome. And you guys are all great. Um, we will put this in a list and like put it somewhere. Connie like pointed that out that we should probably do that. And that's a good idea. So we're going to do it. <laughs> um, but we just haven't yet. So yeah. Um, yeah, go ahead. And subscribe to our newsletter. I know one didn't come out last week, and it may not have come out this week, but I'm working. It's, it's not. The week ain't over yet. <laughs> um, so you can subscribe on our website, blackgirlsnerdout.com, and also on Tiny Letter, tinyletter.com slash BGNO. Awesome. And now to the main Shablam. What what we're here for. Let's get to what we're here for. First, we want to introduce our guest. Um, Johnny J is of the Oto, Missouri, and Choctaw tribes of Oklahoma. She's the managing partner of Native Max Magazine, founder of A Tribe Called Geek, and contributor to Native News Online. She's the manager and producer for the Success Native Style Radio Network, where she hosts the Indigenous Flame and A Tribe Called Geek radio shows. She's also a founding board member of Not Your Mascots. So, hi. <laughs> hi, Johnny. Hello. So, we, um, Bayana and I are obviously huge Harry Potter nerds, and so we were excited when we heard about the magic in North America. I don't know if we were excited. We, we were... Interested. Interested, right? Yeah. So, it's, I think after, with all of the new Pottermore stuff coming out, like, we've kind of got to the point where it's not really excitement so much as it is, like, uh, trepid, like cautious optimism that we will get some cool good information yeah i think when we when they like first rebooted pottermore we were um 
we, I think we did I, I was real, yeah. We were super excited. And then now with the new content, we're just kind of like, all right, like, we'll see, you know, what happens. Yeah, it's been a little, like, back and, you know, up and down for the new the newer content that keeps coming out. So when it was um, announced that it was Magic in North America, it was also, like, or the history of Magic in North America as black women, we were kind of like, okay, let's see how this is going to go. Um but when we read the first one, which was uh, the 17th... No, 14th no, to 17th 14th to 17th century, we, like, immediately were like, okay, we need to get some Native representation on here because one of the things that we're really big on is representation, but also, like, having people tell their own side of the story, you know? And we wanted to have, obviously, do a reaction episode, um, but it felt, like, weird to talk about our opinions about how Native Americans are being represented without having any, like... Actual representation. <laughs> actual representation yeah. from a Native American. And, like, you know, also, like, I... Um, I I learned a lot from the reactions online. So, um, I guess all of that to say, what was, like, your immediate reaction when you read the, um, the bonus content? Well, it started with the trailer for the new content, actually. Um, you know, you had kind of like, and my co-host, she nailed this so perfectly, um, when she when we were talking about the trailer. Um, it's basically a shot of Cocoam from Disney's Pocahontas jumping off a cliff and turning into an eagle spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, seriously? Um, because, you know, like, you know, like you, I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Um and I was really excited, you know, like you are. Like when people tell you that you're going to be included, and um, especially as Native people, because we are rarely included in anything. And when we are, um, you know, it's always kind of, it's, it's iffy, um, you know, but I think given who was writing this, um, J.K. Rowling, you know, she's always been so good about addressing all these issues um you know especially like prejudice because that's what this whole story of harry potter mm-hmm. is um you know mug bloods pure bloods you know she talks about all these things so you were kind of like hopeful like okay you know well maybe she's going to do okay with this and you see how she um reacts to people who are talking about racism when they cast the black hermione you know she stepped up and was like you know this is mm-hmm. awesome um and so, you know, there's hope. You're like, okay, you know, this might actually be a good thing. But then we saw the trailer, and it's just like, oh, God, um, here we go again. You know, we're always portrayed as these primitive people. And for some reason, um, we're always portrayed as, especially the men, you know, being half naked, just wearing the breech cloth, mm-hmm. and, you know, with the bear claws on their chest kind of thing. You know, it's so typical. Um and it's always kind of disappointing because, you know, that's not who we are as Native people. And, you know, considering these tribes, you know, like we're 567 federally recognized tribes. You know, there are hundreds more that are not federally recognized. But we all have our own cultures and our own languages and our own histories. And we're very diverse. Um, so there is not just one um monolith idea of what a Native American is, but yet this is always what's um, trying to be perpetrated in the media. And it's really, um, it's disheartening, you know? Um, And it was really disheartening to read the first installment of Magic in North America, because it 
came back to portraying Native people as being primitive and, you know, it reduced our knowledge of plants and, you know, like art of nature in general to being magic. Um, which, yeah, you know, it's fiction and we know that. We know this is not, you know, an accurate representation. We know that. But um, what people don't seem to understand is that even though it's fictional, um, it does have a very real impact on the way that it helps people form their views of who Native people are. And given that Native history is rarely taught and people lack a basic knowledge of Indigenous people, um, you know, it creates these very skewed and very prejudiced views towards Native people. Yeah, I think that was one of the interesting things that um, I took away from the reactions was, you know, we think about representation in the Black community as... You know, one, there's obviously, like, a lack of representation proportional to uh, our represent- or our population or whatever in the country. But then, you know, with, like, the whole Oscar so white thing, it was, you know, someone that wrote that of all of the um, African-Americans that were nominated or won uh, Oscars, they were all either previously incarcerated, currently incarcerated, maids, or slaves or, or like sexual assault victims or, or workers or sexual or sexual workers or something like that so it was like always this like negative or hardship thing that they had to come up through or you know those were the stories that were not only being the only ones being told but the only ones being recognized and I knew about that from my you know it's my experience and so I was cognizant of that what I wasn't cognizant of I think or aware that I even was like aware of was the idea of you know there's this lack of representation in the Native American community but then the overpowering representation is that of like mystical magical and not like fully human you know like someone had said you know it's hard to it's hard enough to get people to care about or to recognize that we actually exist in, like, modern contemporary society without having to fight against the idea that we're all magical or, you know, some sort of, like, fantasy. Like, our culture is not fantasy, it's real. And it was really eye-opening for me because I was thinking, we deal with that, right? Like, we, all people of color kind of share that, um yearning for representation and being represented as whole humans, you know, and like the good and the bad and even the mediocre, you know? (laughs) Um, So it was just kind of eye-opening for me because it was like, it's a a completely different um, thing, but it's also very similar. It's very like relatable. Yeah, they intersect with each other. Um, And, you know, and I always talk about this too because our histories you know, as black and native people, they intersect, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of these issues that we face, you know, they're very similar and they're all rooted in the same, um, ideas of white supremacy and colonialism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so they intersect and that kind of goes with all people of color in this country, you know, because clear up until the 1900s, you know, we were still, um, having to fight for recognition 
and to be a part of this nation that we were helping to build. And actually, I won't even say helping to build um, on the native part because you know we were already right. here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. we were, you know, like we were older mm-hmm. than America. Um, so, but I mean, like all these issues, they intersect. They all come from the same place. And they all have an impact on the way that people view us, um, especially with stereotypes. Um, when you're looking at um, how they affect different cultures, you know, especially with the Asian, they and people always say, you know what? Well, but their um, their stereotype is positive, um, you know, because they're seen as being overachievers. Mm-hmm. They're seen as being, you know, like financially secure. They're seen as being pretty much assimilated into American culture. Um, but I think that's a very dangerous concept. And it has been for them because, you know, like Native Americans, whenever we, they, okay, take police brutality, for example, um, when they do these studies, the Asian population, um, like the Native population, is often left out um, because they are the model minority. Mm-hmm. Um, so they don't often get included. So we don't realize that police brutality affects this community as well. And, you know, maybe in sometimes even more dangerous and insidious ways than it affects our um, our existence as, you know, <laughs> black and native right. minorities who are constantly vilified. Um, so, so, I mean, they, all these issues intersect and it's really difficult to really talk about them because, you know, usually when we do, they end up in like the oppression of yes, lives. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and it's, and it's like, it's yeah, not it's that just, it's like, it's just happening. It's, it's all happening. It's just in different ways. It has yeah. the same like root. Yeah. exactly but just different effects for different people yeah and they all manifest differently within each community and you know i so i think it's always important to have like nuanced conversations Mm -hmm. and really talk about how these affect different communities and look at that and you know especially when it comes to um just you know social justice issues and civil rights issues and even representation in the media um they usually pit it as like a white black binary yeah um when it's so much bigger than that. And I think, a lo- and it, and that is also another way, you know, for me, I see that as being another way for them to uh, tear our communities apart and keep, keep us divided because then it pits this narrative that, you know, like the black community is all about Black Lives Matter. You know, like when people hear that, they think Black Lives Matter, just Black right. Lives mm-hmm. Matter. Um, but that's not what it's saying at all. Um, and that's not what it's ever been about, you know. It's just that this is the narrative that has put been put out there by the media, and it's what they keep doing, you know, just the binary of white and black. Meanwhile, when you look at the real work being done in communities, um, you know, there are multi-ethnic coalitions that are doing amazing mm-hmm. work um, to really bridge these gaps between our communities because there are um, very huge rifts that exist, um, you know, with, you know, I'm Choctaw. Um, and the five civilized tribes, you know, they did engage in slavery. And so, you know, that is a discussion that is very, very painful on both sides to have. And then, you know, we also have the issues with the freedmen. Um, but they all come back. And that's why, you know, like coming back to Harry Potter here. Um, but when you see these representations in a fictional setting, um, and we know that it's not maliciously done, but it does have an impact on the real world and the way that people treat these issues. Um, And especially Native Americans, we're so marginalized. We are only 2% of the entire population of the US. And when you break that down to numbers, that's around 5 million. Um, 
And that's not a mm-hmm. lot because you have rallies where they have more than 5 million people show mm-hmm. up, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, and that's like our entire population. Um, so it is really hard for us to um, have accurate and positive representation because so much of what people are exposed to are the stereotypes they're exposed to mascots and so when and that's where all this is with harry potter and the magic in north america like the first three installments um that's where they came from um yeah and it was oh no go ahead and it was yeah it was just like you know very Ugh, disappointing because you know she's capable mm-hmm. of more um, as a writer and you also know and this is a point that um, a reporter brought up to me he was like well you know um, rep- when people are writing stories when they're creating their novels they do a lot of research mm-hmm. um, and they plan these stories they have them outlined they know what their characters who they are how to describe them um, before they start writing and you know, and they brought up a segment that Disney did on the making of Pocahontas. And they were talking about the research that they did before, you know, creating this movie. And then you look at the end result and it's like, well, what the right. hell? <laughs> what did you do with that research? <laughs> you know? Where did all that research go? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, and that's the same reaction that I think a lot of people had with Magic in North America. It's like, really? Um because it was just so stereotypical it portrayed natives as being primitive and there was this idea that was planted that we needed to be um civilized Mm -hmm. that we needed to be taught to be more refined um and it was just and it was on a micro level so you know for a lot of people who aren't aware of these um, issues and especially you know people don't have that knowledge of native people so they're not aware of where these ideas come from or even that that is uh, being aggressive or dismissive of who we are as native people they don't understand that and we know that um, but that doesn't mean that our criticism should be negated just because they don't have that knowledge um, so you know I mean it's just a very it's a very difficult conversation because in essence, you know, what it all boils down to, especially when you're looking at how passionate people are about fandoms, it's basically pitting native Potterheads versus non-native Potterheads. And when you, again, when you look at our numbers, you know, we're 2% of the entire population. Not everybody in our communities are Potterheads so when you break that down we're probably less than you know like one percent of the population of Potterheads so again you have this huge global market that is against a very marginalized community and that's the way the story is being played out in the media and it's harmful Um, and again it kind of goes back to showing how this fictional story can have an impact on the real life experience of Native people and even when you Google, um, <laughs> when how when you start Googling Native American history, um, Pottermore is Seriously? popping up. Wow. So oh, yeah, like I posted that yesterday. Um, I was like, okay, you know, uh, with her fourth installment, it was 1920s mm. North America or the 1920s Wizarding World or something. Um, but when you Google 1920s Native American, 1920s Native history, Pottermore shows up on the very first page. <laughs> Uh. So, uh, <laughs> I'm actually doing it yeah. right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, are you kidding me? And you're so right. Oh, no. 
goodness. Yeah, that, I mean, that was one of the things, like, when I was reading it that was frustrating is, like, in terms of just, like, research, like, you were, you brought that up. And um, just, I know, like, you can tell when you read the Harry Potter books how much research went into it. And, like, that's what makes the world so, like, amazing is that it's, like, really full and vast. And you can tell that they're, like, little things. You know what I mean? Like, that just get mentioned. Yeah. Um, that, like, don't really have anything to do with plot, but they get mentioned. And so that helps you, like, see, like, you know, it helps you, like, hold, like, see where you are in the in the world. Yeah. Um, and so what was yeah. really frustrating for me reading it was reading this, these, like, installations or whatever. I don't know what collection or whatever. Like, um was that it felt very much like she went and like read a like hit like a US history textbook or something and then was like okay now i know like what to do you know what i mean it felt like she didn't give as much like depth into the research that she did i think someone and, had mentioned sorry to cut you off no, but go like ahead. in essence like all of all of this series boils down to is like content marketing for fantastic bees right and so, in yeah. that in that sense, and that's it's like, like a whole other thing that about like, yes. about the new content for Power More in general is that it it there wasn't any feel, heart in, in it, right? It doesn't feel like Harry Potter. It's not. It doesn't feel like she took the time to really write it. It feels like she was like, okay, this movie's coming up soon, so I need to like give people backstory because that's what they want and give people interest in. And it's like you know, it's an interesting marketing like strategy. Um, but when you're like dealing with like real people and like real histories, then you have to put more care into it than that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you know, and it's not even saying you know, like I know a lot of people are being like, well, oh, does that mean that white people can only write about white people, natives can only write about natives? And you know, absolutely not. Um, you know, there are some non-natives who have written really great um, stories that did involve native themes or native characters. Um, but the one, I guess you would say, like the common thread between those stories and them being so fantastic is the fact that they did research, um, but they actually reached out to these communities and they reached out to people to talk to them about what does it mean to be native or, you know, like, okay, this is what I'm writing about. Um, how can I write about this in a way that's respectful? Mm -hmm. And, you know, how can I turn this into fiction without it being offensive or without it being, you know, stereotypical? So, and that's a common thread, collaboration. Um, Talk with us. You know, it's not like we're out and hiding, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? And with social media, um, you know, it makes it easier to connect with people. You know, if you're writing about um, a certain tribe, you know, if you contact their, their tribal headquarters, you know, usually they can put you in touch with a historian or even you could go to social media and just be like, you know, is there somebody familiar with this story from the Apache tribe? And, you know, somebody's going to see it. Somebody's going to pass that along. Um, But, I mean, yeah, you have to have care with these because, I mean, when you look at the history in this country, it's brutal. Um, And when you add erasure to that, um, when you add, when you start marginalizing these issues, you know, it makes it even more painful. And, you know, a lot of people like to say, oh, well, that's in the past, you know, like this is 100 years ago. But what they don't realize that for many of us that it's never stopped. Um, you know, it's not overt like it was in the past. Um, but it, these are still issues that we're dealing with, you know, like, um, you know, there was the genocide of Native people. And while now you can't get paid for killing a Native, whenever you do kill a Native, you know, there is a lack of justice that mm-hmm. goes on. Um, it's a struggle just to find justice. And, um, 
So, I mean, they do have an impact. And ooh, and this is where, okay, I'm going to come back to this magic, magic in North America <laughs> here. Because when you talk about these issues, like, you can't separate right. them, you know? Um, like, the, you know, we know it's fictional. We know this is fantasy. But we can't negate the real-life impact that it has. And when you look at how horribly depicted Native Americans were in the first three installments, um, then she comes out with the fourth, in, fourth installment, which was 1920's Wizarding mm-hmm. World. Um, and I think she did a really good job here, which makes the first three even more disappointing because obviously she was capable of doing justice to these stories. She was capable of creating a native narrative within this world that wasn't overtly um, stereotypical or, you know, um, dismissive Mm -hmm. or, you know, just exoticizing us um, in in a way that was damaging. Um, You know, she came out with this character, Shakoba Wolf. Um, Shakoga means feather in Choctaw. And I am Choctaw. And, you know, I took a little issue with some things, but it had more to do with, like, the language. Um, you know, she used a Choctaw spelling, C-H-O-C-K-T-A-W, um, which is a Eurocentric um, variation of the word Choctaw. Um, you know, there's several different variations, and it varies from tribe to tribe and also within di- different time periods of when they were used. Um, and I figured, you know, uh, I could let that slide a little because, you know, the way that she used it, um, looks very familiar to some of the other words that she makes up for um, different species, different people, um, different families in her book. Um, so, so that spelling seemed to fit into that. So, you know, I kind of overlooked that a little bit. Um, but the one thing that I did take more issue with was the wording, um, who was of Choctaw descent. Because usually when we hear descent of, or I have native descent, um, it's usually non-natives clinging to blood myths mm-hmm. of being native, or they use that as a silencing tactic or to insert themselves in conversations to regain control of that narrative from Native Americans. Um, so that's our experience when we hear that. So that's, of course, what it brought up. And then also when you look at the time period, 1920s, um, this was a time in history when our numbers were down to around 350,000. Wow. Wow. Um, and this is also a time when we were not even considered citizens of this country, even though we were the first people here, um, and we're older than the concept of America, you know, we were not allowed to be citizens and there were policies in place at that time before the 1920s, um, that did make citizenship possible for native Americans. But in order to claim that citizenship, we were, um, forced to give up identities we are forced to give up our rights to land and water um and there were stipulations in some of these cases where you actually had to move away from your tribal people um to get that citizenship and you know and then of course after world war one world war two you know they did add in the stipulation that if you served in the military you could become a citizen but that was more like a pr move because in both World War One, um, Native Americans were volunteering in numbers that were incredible, given how little our numbers were. And we were, you know, using our languages that at the time we were forbidden to speak um, to help them win these battles. And, you know, um, and even some of our tribes, you know, we're very impoverished. 
um, at that time. And some of our tribes were cashing in millions of dollars in bonds to help the U.S. And that's something that's not often recognized in history. But that's why, you know, they came up with, okay, you know what, we're going to have to do something. Because how bad does this look for our country that, you know, we have these Native people who are helping us win these huge battles, but they're not U.S. citizens. So it was kind of more of a PR move. Um, And this is also at a time when, you know, our children were being stolen from their families and forced into boarding schools or forced into adoptions out to white families. Um, So this was like a very, um, it's a very hard period for Native people, the 1920s. Um, Even previous to that, it was very uh, brutal but this point was, as a modern people, it was the beginning of some really, um, really up, really um, extremely damaging uphill battles regarding um, assimilative proper um, policies and also genocidal policies that were no longer okay. You know, you get two hundred fifty dollars for every native scalp that you bring us, um, but it was more like, okay, th- how can we breed them out of existence? Um, how can we still get handle our native problem without you know making it seem so outright at the Mm -hmm. time so i mean it was it was a very it was a very hard time for native people around this time um just with gaining recognition but it was also the beginning of i guess you would say like a native uprising because it was also during this time when you saw more of our communities um speaking up about land rights speaking up about protection of water um and also you know calling out these policies, you know, stealing our children away from our communities, um, that's when you start seeing more of the Native Americans starting to rise up to address these issues. Um, so it was a very um, interesting period, I guess right. you would say. Yeah, I mean, like, for me, it was, that was one of the things that was making me angry, like, writing, like, when I was reading it. Um, like, well, all four of them, actually, was the... Like, I don't. she was trying really hard to separate the wizarding world from... The like muggle. the muggle world in a way that made me feel like she didn't want to deal with like the like brutal history that like like you know what I mean like all the like terrible things that were happening in those centuries like I mean the fact that Serafina Pickery is a black woman and she doesn't and even like talk about and she's from like Savannah I'm yeah like, she's from Savannah Georgia so what is that you know what I mean <laughs> like what's ha- you know what I mean you know there's slavery happening right and you know there's like all these things happened so I just it was it was a confusing thing um for me just in terms of like the rep like in its misrepresentation but like what was there but then also what wasn't there um and there's like this really curious like skipping over all these like really important moments um that were terrible but like really important moments in American history that were just like oh well the, the wizards were separate because they were afraid or whatever so they didn't deal with that yeah. and I'm like and then but then at one point and I'm trying to remember which one it was in, I feel like it might have been in 17th century and beyond, where it talked about how, um, it might have been in 14th, no, I don't remember, but it was, like, talking about how there were, how most wizards in America were, like, muggle-born, and so then I'm like, so all that stuff has to translate over, just because you're separate, like, once you become a wizard, which also makes no sense, but, like, once you're separate, you still have all of these, like, things happening where you were connected to, like, the, like, what's going on in the muggle world. So that weird, like, the trying yes. to, it felt like a cop-out, kind of. Like, she didn't want to address, yeah, like, it's, these it's, terrible it's, things that were happening um, in a way yeah, that would be, and, like, <laughs> I don't know, that would work. It would yeah. make sense. 
Because like, to yeah, say that, it, and it was really weird, yeah, right? Was just, like just this whole disconnect. Like, I mean, it's it's the same and, thing and as then, trying to say that Harry's upbringing with the Dursleys doesn't affect who he becomes as a person, right. you know, and like, and the fact that you know, like. I think I said I told Bayana this in um, like text form when we were reading it. It's like it's shocking and disappointing that someone who writes this beautiful allegory for um, racism, really, and and prejudice in terms of blood status, then goes on to say, but none of that applies in a in a country that that is literally founded on like <laughs> on, on racism. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. And, and so much of and our especially history when you is. Look at- yeah, like especially when you look at the native community, blood issues are a huge right. discussion with us um, because of blood quantum. Um, so this is something that we deal with. Like even now, you know, it's 2016. We shouldn't be. Um, but this is what's happened because of racism. And to ignore that just seems mm-hmm. so weird because um, blood quantum, you know, um, if you don't know what blood quantum is, it's um, a system of tracking native mm-hmm. blood. And this was something that was brought up during um, when they start doing like the dolls rolls and having natives um, having to be federally recognized. You know, you had to sign these roles. And based, once you signed those roles, they would assign you a blood quantum. Wow. Mm. Like you were full blood or you were this. There's no scientific um, anything to of course, it yeah. at all. But, um, you know, that's, it's, that's what it I is. I was, um, you know, recently, comes... sorry to cut you off, but I, I've been recently like really into, uh, finding your roots on PBS and they do like, uh, a mixture of genealogical discovery and then like DNA and stuff. And there was a, there yeah. was a episode where he's talking to a lot of like African Americans, people of African descent. And he's like, you know, there is actually this, um, almost culturally like no matter where you are thing of African Americans being like well I have like I'm I'm I have some Native American in me or you know I'm I'm Cher- I'm part Cherokee or you know that kind of like clinging on to a yeah I probably definitely have slave blood or like I'm descendant from slaves but you know Somewhere around the, like, you know, we were, we were free and we got, you know, we hooked up with the Native Americans and we were like living life on, you know, and it's really funny to hear you, or not funny, but it's interesting to hear you like talk about even the idea of like being of Native descent and like clinging or appropriating and then erasing people who are Native American now and, you know. Um, yeah, it's it's so difficult, and this is what you know. This is why you know we have to talk about representation, um, because it's such a difficult um, concept to understand. You know, like a lot of people. Oh well, I have native blood, and yeah, you do. But did you grow up in your native right. community? Mm-hmm. Did you connect? Do you know your history? Do you have that connection of what is, or what isn't um, appropriate? You know, so and, you know, especially with the black community and this is an issue that always uh, breaks my heart is when we have natives who deny um, Afro native people's Mm -hmm. identities. And, you know, I did a um, native youth career day. And one of the most heartbreaking (laughs) moments was when this little boy who, you know, when you look at him, he is identifiably black. Um, But we are talking and he was just like, hey, miss, did you know that you could be black and native? 
And I was just like, oh, no. <laughs> you know, like my heart literally just broke because I kept thinking, oh, my God, he's like no more than like 12 or 13. But I'm just like thinking of how many times this little boy had had his identity right. denied. Wow. And, you know, and it comes down to that when you're talking about um, blood quantum. And when you compare that, and I think that's another reason that, you know, the Harry Potter world resonated with natives, you know, because these are very real issues when you're talking about pure blood. We hear this on a daily basis. Oh, well, you're not full blood or, you know, you're just... 132 or mm-hmm. whatever and it's like really our blood is not quantifiable right. i mean we have like a similar <laughs> you know? thing like in the black community it's like almost the opposite where it's like like with this little boy it's like if if any of us were to see we just be like oh you're black like any any type of black blood the that one you have drop makes you bl- exactly yeah the one and so it's like almost the opposite yeah. where it's like we just take in <laughs> we, we adopt <laughs> everybody <laughs> we're like you're yeah and which is so how we weird. get rachel Dolezal, like, actually it's because oh you know God. we have people who, <laughs> but it's true like i mean Bayana and I are different, like, shades, right? But our grandmother, our uh-huh. shared grandmother is so, is so fair. She's, like, darn near translucent, I want to <laughs> say, in a nice way. I love my grandmother. Um, but, you know, like, so the idea of, and, and she's also where I think a lot of, like, my first, like, activism and, you know, questioning what, you know, is told came, comes from. And so I think a lot of us are kind of hesitant because we are we do come in all different shades and you know at some point we know that there is no real tracing of our blood or our history or you know um, and so we don't want to say like if you if you identify as such we don't want to question that you know and so I think and I think that it's a human thing that everyone wants to. Yeah, and yes, and um, and then we don't, and and you want people to feel a part of something, but yeah, if it's respectful, and a lot of people accuse, yeah, exactly. If it's disrespectful, you know, it's no good um, because you know, natives, you know, we've always been open to sharing our Mm -hmm. culture. Um, You know, like we want people to know who we really are. We want them to understand. You know. Um, what it is to be Native. We want them to understand that. Um, But there are also, you know, like within any culture or with any group, there are always boundaries. And there are just some things that are not meant for, um, to be commodified, Mm -hmm. you know, or that are not meant for everyone. You know, there are still ceremonies and people like to uh, push uh, feminism into our Native communities because, you know, there are certain things that women um, are not allowed to participate in. Um, but that doesn't really apply to us, you know, because it's not a male versus female thing or it's not the men marginalizing or oppressing the female community. It's just um, we all have our own roles to play. And within our Native communities, before colonization, you know, we were equal. Um, men, women, children, our elders, and especially our elders and children, we consider them to be sacred um, because our elders kept our knowledge. And then, you know, our children were the ones who were going to be keeping our people alive. They were going to be the ones carrying on this knowledge. Um, So, you know, like I'm always laughing when they try to apply, you know, like Western feminism to our Native communities because it just doesn't work that way. Um, You know, we know our power. We know our roles in our community. um, And we know why there is this. It's, you you know, why these, um, why there are certain things that we 
cannot participate in. We know that and we respect that, but there are also ceremonies and things that men are not allowed to participate in mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, but it's just about understanding, you know, like the different culture and, you know, there's not a one size fit all solution for every single person. Um, so, you know, you really have to do your research. You really have to talk to the people to understand, you know, what it is you're writing about, what it is you're talking about, and how you're um, portraying this to other people. Um, because they're so complicated, yeah. you know, nothing. <laughs> I, and I, I always laugh about this because being Native is probably one of the most complicated things that you can be born into Um, (laughs) because it's not just you know an identity it's not just our culture our traditions Um, you know it's not just that you know it's actually a political status because we are sovereign nations Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean it's so complicated because you know we're not like other people you know like we're the only people in this country where we have to I guess you would say like we're pretty much um documented like in like animals Mm -hmm. you know like that's the way that we are still treated um you know like i think dogs are the only other dogs horses um i think are the only other two things in this country where you have to um, produce paperwork you know like oh you know they're a full they're full (laughs) breed wow uh pure breed you know but this is the same thing with native americans um you know we have to produce these documents that say oh well you're and when you're born you get what's called a cdib a certificate degree of indian blood wow and then but that doesn't also that also doesn't mean that you're automatically a member of your tribe because certain tribes have blood quantum requirements so if you're not one-fourth or one-eighth then you're not eligible to be a citizen of your nation so you know it is a very um complicated issue to when you're talking especially native identity it's so complicated and it requires a lot of understanding nuance you have to understand you know both the federal policies you have to understand even state policies in some cases and also um, how different Native communities determine citizenship. Yeah. Wow. It's just like, I think that's the, the, the issue too, just like bringing it back to Harry Potter, is that it's so complicated and there's like so much yeah. happening. And it's like even now, and like again, I think you mentioned earlier too, and it's like a thing that we always talk about is like, the, like all of the history kind of like, it still affects us today. And so even if like for, like she's writing about the twenties, like that still has like a like tangible um, people like, are still alive. Exactly, like, it's Who not was born it's, in the twenties. Yes, yeah. exactly. when you <laughs> said some, you. I think you said something exactly. about like a century ago, and I was like, there was a hundred and two year old woman dancing with the president on TV right. last yes. week. Like she that was is there. not. Yeah, yeah she like, she was. Yeah, she it's was, just it just it makes no sense. And then that's the, one of the other things. Is like I was kind of thinking like just um in terms of like how she could have gotten it right and i I feel like there are different ways it could have happened like we're like you're talking about like just doing more research and actually talking to people um but then yeah and even just like and we know it's fiction right right? but when you look at the whole harry potter universe you know she did make this very distinct difference between the muggle world and the wizarding world and when you compare the two i mean 
they didn't even know how to use cars, yeah. really, you know, or uh, like basic technology, like mm-hmm. a light switch. A rubber duck <laughs> was like foreign to yeah. them, right? So it seemed ironic when, you know, she came out with magic in North America that all of a sudden she's portraying Native people as being primitive. Like, right. hello, uh, I think we could have figured out a rubber duck. And then the, the, whole, duck. Like, the <laughs> whole wand thing. And this is like one of the things that's like, I noticed when, um, like we talked about it when we were talking about, um, in like a, previ- a previous episode when we were talking about the wizarding schools, like the information she like put out about that. And I started to be like, not confused but like curious about like the voice that she's like where is she like is she writing as like a narrator like a historian or is she writing as herself and then like either way it's like there's like a European like colonial lens on all of it and so just like with the wand as an example like even like in this in this um, installation, talking about how like Europe like mentioning like the Europeans invented the wand and that's what made magic more refined or whatever. But like that was a similar thing that she said when she was talking about um, the school in Africa, Wagadu, um, like about oh like the Europeans came and gave them. So it's like oh so they're just going around like showing people how to give wands and like then there was a tweet that she came out where she was like all the wizards. Um, respected each other like regardless of race and I'm like okay but the way that you're writing this is super colonial colonial so then how does that <laughs> yeah. so I don't buy that I don't believe that that's the truth yeah like, and uh, I'm yeah, and that was another thing, too. I mean, it's like, hello, okay, so you're writing about black and native wizards here, but yet, you know, when you're talking about the African wizards, they live in caves, and, right. you know, they were portrayed just as primitive as we were. And it's like, seriously, um, especially when you consider, you know, that there are countries in Africa that were colonized the mm-hmm. same way that America was exactly. colonized. Mm-hmm. Um and you know we're and we're all in this like decolonization process, right. you know. But here we are with this whole new installment, and it's just perpetrating that even further. Like, okay, it was needed. Um, they needed this. It mm-hmm. was a good thing. And it's like, no, 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 no. And you know, we weren't primitive when you look at our um, inherent identities. When you look at that inherent history that was there before colonization occurred. We were not oh. primitive. A lot of people like to say we were living in the Stone Age, Stone Age that we did nothing with the land, but yet we were farming. Um, a lot of the different types of corn that you see that we consume today, um, this was done by Native people. Um, you know, we domesticated corn. Um, and we created these hybrids before it was popular, um, you know, before right. Montana, <laughs> um, we were doing this, you know, um, and we had advanced star maps, you know, we had advanced trade routes, you know, we were, we had advanced mathematics, um, and we had medicine, you know, even the basis of our modern medicine traces back to indigenous knowledge, um, whether it was here in America, whether it was in Africa or wherever, you know, it comes down to indigenous mm-hmm. knowledge, uh, not magic. Or, and, you know, yeah, you know, they have been able to refine this. They've been able to make it more potent. Um, but that necessarily hasn't necessarily been a good thing, especially when you look at the number of people who are um, abusing prescription yeah. drugs. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it's like nuanced people. Like, I know that stereotypes have portrayed us as, you know, indigenous people, Um as backward as primitive but that's not the reality um you know like if it wasn't for native americans teaching the fir- the um 
pilgrims who came over here how to work the land. They wouldn't have survived their first right. winter here. Um, and then we all look at how well that turned out for us. But <laughs> <Seriously>? yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I mean, that's what was going on. And to kind of erase all that and to, you know, and be like, oh, well, you know, wizards, they always knew about Native Americans. They always knew about this country. And seeing as how they were being persecuted, you know, I mean, you know what like, I mean? I would like, think um, that if you had already known about them, by the time, like, the muggles started coming and, like, like, killing everyone and, like, taking stuff, like, I feel like, wouldn't you want to, like, fight back or no? Yeah. Like, there's just yes, certain things exactly. where I'm like, this makes no sense. Like, you're yeah. just going to ignore and be like, oh, yeah. it's cool, we can come, we can come chill too and, like, make our own, make our own, like, institutions here. Well, and the, the like, thing is, like, when she says that they are, like, wizard or magical people knew about, like, magical people all over the continent, or all over the world, you know, they were cognizant of each other, but then Europeans come over to escape persecution and integrate themselves into the, I'm guessing, with the other European colonizers. Like, you don't integrate yourself with the indigenous magical community. If, you know, like, I don't, I don't know. And it's yeah. just, like, a lot of it, it is... Was, it was, con- it's super confusing, yeah. right? So one of the <laughs> questions that I had for, I have for you, um, and this is because of, I, of even just my own ignorance, like me and uh, Bayana talk about this a lot, about you know, intention versus execution and all of these things. Um, is it, would you have rather she, if she couldn't get it right um, or she couldn't get the representation right and she didn't, obviously, like, we know that the way she could have been better at it is to, you know, ask people and have, you know, have talked to um, Native people. But since she didn't get it right, do you think she... Um, do you think that this, the, I, I guess, like the harm that you feel from this writing and the harm caused to Native Americans from this writing is uh, not worth it, but um, I don't know the right way to say so it's like I feel like I'm learning it's, so much, right? And I and I feel <laughs> also feel well, bad because I really, feel like my uh, awareness, I'm be, I'm becoming aware of all of these things because harm was done to you which made you have to speak out against it. Like, I read the Mercy Thompson books by Patricia Briggs, and I had no idea that we weren't supposed to know about, like, skinwalkers or that that was um, a very sensitive subject. Like, I, I, that was the first, like, reading those that series of books was the first time I've ever even heard about it, and she, you know, has coyote in her stories and, you know... Um, I, I just had no... And so, I, like, reading all these things that come out after uh, the history of magic in North America, I'm like, oh, my God, I've been culpable in a lot of harmful things to, like, Native people that I didn't even know I was, you know, participating yeah, in. Yeah, and th- I think that's true for all of us. You know, whether or not we are, you know, subconsciously or even just consciously aware of it, we are all... We have all been complicit mm-hmm in perpetrating a lot of racism towards each other and even co-signing off it um, in ways that we don't always understand. Well, I think, um, too, I mean, I, just you know, from, my own perspe- from my own perspective, like, the those stories, I thought, like, obviously I, you can tell when something's, like, blatantly racist or harmful or, 
you know, like when it's when it's so egregious. But those I thought like, oh, this is like an interesting take on, you know, native culture or whatever. Um, and I didn't know, I guess I'm, I'm saying like, I'm, this incident has taught me a lot about my own ignorance. And I feel kind of bad that like you have to feel harm for me to even know that I'm ignorant of things. Does that make sense? And then how does that make you guys yeah, feel? Yeah, and you know, and it's and it's a learning experience. I think when we're addressing and trying to untangle ourselves from like this centuries of ingrained mm-hmm. racism, because that's what that's why we don't recognize it, um, because this has been so normalized and ingrained over centuries, and it's always just kind of changed form. You know, like okay, we can't be so overt. We have to go underground with this. We have to make it more covert, more unnoticeable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why we don't always recognize it. You know, even as Native people, we don't always recognize it right away how we're um, our own prejudices or our own ignorance towards other cultures. Um, and that's just because, you know, as people, we're not that exposed to each other. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you know, like even our communities, when you look at our communities, we're still very segregated. Um, and that's not always, um, that's not by choice. And it's also not by um, coincidence, um, you know. So it's just kind of like untangling yourselves, and you constantly have to do it, and it's just like exhausting. Um, you know, people get tired of hearing about racism. Well, we're tired of hearing <laughs> it, <laughs> you know, because it it's exhausting having to always talk about this, and you know, like because we're like broken records, right? At this point. Um, because we all say the same things over and over and over and over. And it's like, come on, people, snap, right. snap. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, we're not saying that natives can't not write native characters or use native themes, but that there is a way to go about it that could be so magical um, and really a positive thing. You know, we have one native writer, um, or actually non-native writer, his name's uh, Kent Nurburn, and he writes these wonderful books that I just love um, because he writes them like from a perspective of a non-native talking Mm -hmm. to natives or working with like a native elder um, nor wolf nor dog I think that's I might have gotten that turned around nor dog nor wolf (laughs) I may have gotten that turned around a little but you know I always thought that was a a great example because he in this story you know he is a non-native and he is a, a native man, an elder, um, since for him. And he wants him to write his, like, a life story. And so he goes to this native man and, you know, they don't click right away. You know, because he doesn't, the elder, of a course, is um, very um, suspicious of him as a non-native. And he tells him outright, you know, like, I want you to get this right. I want you to write as if you're native. Mm-hmm. I want you to write as if you, you know, that um, in an accurate perspective, you know, I want to make sure this is right. And there are times when he speaks and because he's so ignorant of, you know, the native culture and because he just doesn't understand um, the impact of his words or the way that he's wording things, you know, the old man, he stops talking or he'll stop communicating while he tries to uh, figure out how to communicate this because, you know, he's worried that it's going to get twisted. So then he stops talking. Um, So it's like a back and forth of going back and trying to understand each other. But, you know, what resulted was this book. (laughs) And I think it's wonderful. And 
you know, it's quoted, you know, like we use a lot of these passages, a lot of the parables that he uses in these books as native people to, um, get our point across that, um, you know, the mascot issue is huge in the native community. And there is a section in one of his books where he's talking about a white man talking to a native elder about mascots. And he's like, well, what do you think of the, you know, the Braves or the Kansas city chiefs? And this old man says, well, here's the thing, you know, because, um, you see these mascots, um, you see these cartoons, you see this savage in noble or savage Indian, um, but you don't see us as people. Um, you know, you don't see the way that, you know, our children were murdered. Um, you don't see like the Wounded Knee Massacre. You don't see all these things that happen to Native people. Um, and even in the contemporary time, you don't, you know, you just don't see us as as contemporary, existing, living, breathing human beings. Um, but that's a parable that we use a mm -hmm. lot, um, just because it really illustrates the point and the disconnect that happens. And so, you know, non-natives can absolutely be a great resource for getting some of these ideas out, you know, uh, but there is a way to do that and there's a way not to do it. And a lot of, and it comes down to collaboration, it comes down to listening, and it comes down to putting your ego aside and realizing that, you know, you don't know everything. You don't always know what's best. Um, so consult with somebody else. Just listen. Um, because, you know, we are storytellers as, you know, Native <laughs> Americans. It's just what we do. Um, and we have some wonderful stories. We have powerful stories. And we want to tell those stories. You know, we have Native writers. We have Native filmmakers. Um, but we also know that the, we have Natives who may be more comfortable, you know, just sharing those stories and putting it in somebody else's hands that they feel would do it more justice. So, you know, I think it comes down to collaboration and it comes down to just really reaching out and trying to connect as human beings, not as Native, non-Native. Um, and usually that's what it comes down to, you know, even within other cultures, it's white, black, native, white, um, <laughs> you know, Asian, white. Um, and we don't really take the time to connect as human beings and really understand, you know, that our cultures and our histories, you know, they're so lively, they're vibrant, you know, but they're also brutal. And that has an impact on the human mm -hmm. psyche. And it's not just a cultural thing. This is a human thing. I think that that's interesting. Um and because when we talk about like a lot of, I think we're on the, I think our last chapter we talked about um, Dobby being like, save yourself. Cause we're talking about uh, chamber of secrets right now. And it was like, you know, yeah, you sh at a certain point you need to save yourself, but as a human, even if you don't hold these prejudice or if, if you don't hold these prejudices or whatever, it doesn't mean that like, the harm that's coming to someone else doesn't affect you, right? So it's in Chamber of Secrets, they're going after Muggleborns and Half-Bloods and, you know, enemies of the air and, or Muggleborns, you know, but Harry as a Half-Blood or, you know, um, still has to think, like, yeah, I'm not really on the target. I'm not on, or even Ron, like, I'm not on the hit list of, you know, the air of Slytherin, but my best friend is, and even if she wasn't my best friend, she's just, she's a human being. Yeah. And like, there are people who are targets and that affects me, you know, like if, if the idea of like, if one of us isn't safe, none of us are safe. Mm -hmm. And if one of us is being marginalized or being erased, then we're all being like, we're e 
if it's not our story right now, that doesn't mean that we're not next or our stories aren't next. And so um, I wanted to kind of also ask you, like, how does it how does it feel as a fan of the series and having grown grown up and like being a self-proclaimed Potterhead to like have to be placed in the position to have to have this discussion? It's heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a betrayal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because when you love a fandom, you really love it. And I am in love with the Harry Potter fandom. I mean, the, okay, here's a geeky (laughs) confession here. The only reason that I do not have a tattoo right now is because I cannot decide between a Harry Potter tattoo or a Doctor Who. Get one. both! Um, Get both like us. We we have we have both. <laughs> <laughs> we have a matching crack in space and time, and I have the Deathly yeah. Hollows, and yeah, Brianna you know, has a smidge. This is the only reason I don't have a tattoo because I don't I can't oh, choose between my two That's favorite like fandoms. That's like the biggest and, dilemma you know, ever. They, both of these have had a huge impact. Yeah. Um, Doctor Who. You know, I grew up watching Doctor Who with my mm-hmm. dad, and so like I have these um, very distinct memories of. You know, just being able to bond mm-hmm. with my dad because we don't have a lot in common. Um, but Doctor yeah. Who, <laughs> that was that yeah. bond. Um, and so, like, I love Doctor Who. And when they came up with the reboot, I was just like, oh, my God. Um, but those are the only reasons I don't have a tattoo because Which I can't one? choose between the two. Well, we are um, suggestion so, is to, to do, do both. both. And, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, you can do it like Bionna. I have the Harry Potter tattoo on my ankle and our... We have a matching Doctor Who tattoo on our um, forearm, whatever this is. Uh, yeah. I don't know what this thing is called. <laughs> but then Bayana has, like, <laughs> ma- like she's got the crack in one, like... The crack in time. time. And then I have and a then, snitch. But and, they're, like, kind of... Sim- like, they like the shape is similar, so I have them in the mm-hmm. same place, just on different arms. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's and cool. so, it, yeah, do both. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I didn't get them at the same time. I know, but, but then it comes down to... Yeah, see, it would have to be at the same time because I would always think... You chose think, one over the... Okay, well, I got that one first, so does that mean I love right. Harry Potter yeah. more? Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, I mean, it, so, I mean, even that, you know, it's like betrayal. You're betraying right. one love for another. But, you know, that's what it comes down to when you're talking about, like, the inclusion mm-hmm. in Natives. Because, you know, as Potterheads, you want to be included. And actually, you know, for Natives, the reason that the Harry Potter world was so magical is because we could easily fit into this world. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a lot of fandoms that we can fit into easily without having to um, live up to like a stereotypical image that was um, perpetrated in that right. fandom. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but the wizarding world, you know, this is one place where we could put on a robe, grab a wand, voila, yeah. made a wizard. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, so having this inclusion of like trying to bring in the native history, you know, I think at, we were all excited about this, um, worried about how it was going to mm-hmm. go off, obviously. And, but I think we really wanted to be wrong because, you know, this is Jake Hel- right. yeah. Rowling. Um, we wanted to be wrong. You know, this is the world that we love. This is a fandom that we love and we want to be a part of it. Um, but now, you know... It's just so heartbreaking because when you look at the global scale of this franchise Mm -hmm. and when you look at how stereotypical um, these portrayals are, we start thinking about merchandising. We start thinking about cultural appropriation. We start thinking about um, how this is going to affect people dressing up in red face 
and creating these really um, harmful, you know, having to resort to like these harmful stereotypes to create these, what they consider a native wizard. Um, and especially, you know, there are some spiritual aspects to this as well. So we're also worried about how the commodification of our spirituality is going to be played out right. in this franchise with the merchant, um, you know, like with the merchandising. And because we already have to deal with this, um, urban outfitters, oh, the you know, they, <laughs> yeah, they are, um, because it wasn't just a couple of months ago. I think they were actually selling smudging oh kits, my God. um, in their store. So, you know, yeah, they are. Absolutely. Sorry, it's like, I feel like I try to like not click on anymore. Like you'll never believe what Urban Outfitters is. I'm like, I'm pretty sure I will. They appropriated something and did it in a very disgusting way. We've done this before. Like this is what they do. So I feel like I I didn't even know about the smudging yeah. kits. I'm not surprised that they did it, but I'm also just like, how how low can a company go? Yeah. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. So when you like take all that into consideration. Yeah. And um, and you look at how harmful these conversations are to begin with, how violent they get, um, especially with cultural appropriation, because people don't understand there is a huge difference between cultural appropriation and cultural appreciation yes, exactly. and cultural exchange. Yes. Um, you know, like with cultural appropriation, you know, we, we talk about this um, a lot because it has an impact on the way that people view us. But more importantly, it has an impact on the economies of our native nations. Um, you know, it financially impacts our native artisans because why would anyone, um, well, I guess you would say, you know, more people have be- quicker access to like Urban Outfitters or, you know, all these different shops that are selling China or Taiwan made Native American jewelry. Um, and they can buy them cheaper and they could sell them for cheaper and, you know, get you know, get them um, circulating quicker. Um, whereas, you know, our native artisans, you know, a lot of the jewelry, um, even just the different beadwork, you know, that is all done by hand mm-hmm. and it takes time. And, you know, and they're not always cheap. You know, they you pay for the quality um, and you pay for the authentic- authenticity um, but it makes it harder for them to make a living doing that when you have other people stealing their designs, stealing their um, imagery, and sending it off to China and Taiwan to be mass yeah. produced. Um, so it doesn't have it does have an impact, and especially you know in the fashion industry, you know we see how horrible that is with them actually taking designs from native fashion designers and incorporating them into their collection as if they came up with it, thinking that no one's going to notice. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it has an impact, and that's why we talk about this, um, and that's what we worry about, you know, how this is going to impact our communities, because it's not just the stereotypes, you know, but it comes down to um, how these things affect our economies, and a lot of people don't understand that as well. Um But what I really hate, though, is that usually when we have these conversations, it ends up pitting other people who love this fandom against us because they see it as a personal attack on J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I always feel like that's the thing that, like, I always, (laughs) like, where, like, I notice we always tend to, as, especially just Potterheads of Color, um, just having to always, um, 
reassure that we love yeah, her. Yeah, exactly. As Be well. like, wait, no, we love Harry Potter, or just like, <laughs> it's fine. We're like still love. You know what I mean? It's like because I totally get that when someone attacks something I love, I get def- you get defensive first. Yeah. Um, yes. And so it's like <laughs> difficult. It's like I know that, but also like no, these are valid concerns. I and think like, like it's always it's interesting like these critiques come from the love, exactly. right? It's like we ex- we mm-hmm. hold her or we would like her to hold herself to the standard that we hold her to or that we expect of her and we want, and we know, like you said, like she's capable of doing better so we want to make sure that like we we push her to always do better and yeah, and you know, and and I am not one. I know that there's a lot of people who, you know, they get so angry, they get so hurt, um, and we've been like we are a hurt people. Like we're still mm-hmm. healing, um, and we're still trying to um, understand how all this, you know, like the historical trauma, how it continues to manifest in our communities, how these issues continue to um, impact our people. Um, so it's difficult um, when we're trying to relate that to these fictional worlds um, because, you know, it's very real. But we love Harry mm-hmm. Potter. Um, we love yeah. J.K. Rowling. You know, like me, I'm a huge fan. I am. Um, I was there with all my Potterheads standing in line for movie premieres for right. book releases. <laughs> you know, I have merchandise too. Um, but, you know, I was there in the trenches yeah. with you. But just because I'm criticizing this, you know, it doesn't mean that I think that J.K. Rowling is racist. It doesn't. Um, But I also understand that because it's so normalized, because it's so ingrained, and because this is what non-natives are exposed to on a massive level, um, that they don't understand how it's racist. They don't understand how it's harmful. Um, because they don't have to live with the impact and because they don't see it. Um, so, you know, I know that J.K. Rowling did not do this maliciously, but um, I know that she can do yeah. better. And, you know, like I know a lot of people, they still take issue with, you know, even the fourth installment, which I think is, um, you know, of course, there were the issues with the language and what comes to mind when I'm reading certain things. But at the, But this is how it should right. have been done from the get-go to me um because it is fiction you know of course the thunderbird you know it's not real um you know it's based off the Mm -hmm. bald eagle um but it does have a spiritual um connection to our native people like it's a spiritual image so you know i know that to some tribes they may hold that to a higher standard of when and how it can't be used but you know again we're very diverse people as native we're not all going to see eye to eye but for me um when i look at this one you know it's just basically three sentences in this whole um the in all these installments that showcase how this can be done because it is fiction um but shakoba that is a Mm -hmm. choctaw you know and it means feather you know, she actually used a variation that is acceptable. Um, you know, a lot of people don't understand, you know, just how many variations there are, but there are quite a few variations of the mm-hmm. word Choctaw. Um, and, you know, C-H-O-C-K and C-H-O-C. 
Um, these are Euro Eurocentric versions, but they are acceptable. Um, you know, they're, um, it's not really offensive to me to, for them to use that. Um, but this is how it should have been done. Yeah. You know, um, primarily famous for intricately carved wands containing their Thunderbird tail feathers. You know, and we all know that in this wizarding world, you know, these wands, you know, they had feathers inside them that came from these magical, mm -hmm. mythical creatures mm -hmm. of power. Um, so, you know, yeah, that's great. Um, there was no stereotypical imagery that came to mind, um, no stereotypical portrayal that she projected into this like she did previously. Um, so this is how it should have been done to me. This is what it could right. have been. This is what it should have been. And when you see this, it makes those other three installments even more disappointing because you now you have the proof here. She can do better. She's right. capable of it. She did some research into this, and she put some thought into how this was going to go down. Um, but with those other three installments, you know, it just didn't feel the same. And, you know, a part of me, too, and I know this is very suspicious because I'm Choctaw and, you know, like we, one of the main people that's been really uh, talking out about this issue. But it makes me wonder if this was an edited part mm -hmm. because it doesn't seem to fit when you look at right. the other three installments. I was, I was more curious if it was like, like it didn't fit. And I was wondering if it also had something to do with, like, the movie, because that's when it was... Like, maybe she did more research for this one because that's when the movie set. But, like... So, yeah. so I, I was wondering whether it was reactionary or if she just did better, you know what I mean? In, mm -hmm. Yeah, like, in terms exactly. Of and that's, you know, like... Yeah, because I read it, and I was just like, okay, I'm confused right. here. Um, you know, and it does raise your suspicions because you know this is where the movie takes place, and this is another reason why that... Um, phrasing really hit me who was of Choctaw mm -hmm. descent because when I look at this here um, and we all know of course you brought up um, Oscar so white we all know that whitewashing happens um, and we know that people of color are not often given the opportunity um, to be represented in film so when I see that term who was of Choctaw descent um, what I'm seeing here is them casting a white person in this role right. Yeah. And saying, oh, well, you know, his mom or his dad or his great-grandma great was a Cherokee mm -hmm. or Choctaw, um, you know, and kind of making it okay that he was being portrayed by a white white person because he was just of Choctaw right. descent rather than being Choctaw. Um, and then again, of course, that brings up the topic of, you know, what we were discussing earlier about how we all come in different shades. Um, and a lot of people, it's funny because when I talk about these issues, a lot of people think that, I don't understand um, white culture, I guess you would say. But my siblings are native and they're white. Um, and they are identifiably mm -hmm. white. <laughs> they don't look native. And my mom and I, you know, we're brown. We're identifiably native. Um, and we've had some very weird experiences in our family. Like my mom was constantly um, mistaken for being a nanny. Mm -hmm. Um, because she didn't, you know, my brothers and sisters didn't look like her. Um, you know, they were white, she's brown <laughs> and, um, our, and our experiences are different, you know, like where they benefit from being part of, I guess you would say the majority culture and they, you know, they benefit from white privilege. Their experiences are very different from mine. Um, 
and we understand this. Like, we know where this comes from. Even in um, when my mom and dad got married, um, you know, his side of the family, they're white. And for a while, we were a novelty. You know, like, oh, my God, we've got natives mm. in the family. Um, and they didn't understand native culture. But, you know, as, you know, we got to know each other and they got to know us as, you know, not just being a part of their family, but just also as, um, you know, as we shared our culture with them, you know, they understand it. And it's really funny because whenever I talk about these issues, you know, my cousins um, from my dad's side of the family, you know, they're right there with me. They're like, right. John's sister, and they'll even post, you know, like, and they'll back mm-hmm. me up. And they are so white, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> And so it's like, I'm always cracking up. Like, you know, I know, you know, this is why I talk about these because we have these misconceptions about people and, you know, and I don't want to generalize or vilify. Like when I talk about these, I'm not vilifying white people. Um, but I am talking about how, you know, racism has been ingrained within these different cultures and how it's perpetrated by different cultures, even within the native community, you know, um, for the most part, a lot of our communities, we have to call out anti-blackness, um, and we have to call out, you know, racism and homophobia. Like we have to do that in our community yeah. too. We are not exempt from that. Um, so when we talk about those, you know, it's not about vilifying each other. It's about understanding how, um, these ingrained notions cause us to vilify each other and how we perpetrate that, like through these fictional writings or even through the media portrayal, like when we're talking about different, um, say okay like the chicago shutdown of the trump rally um you know they're throwing around the word thugs or out of control crowds violent crowds but that's not what it was um you know these are people that came together to stand up against Mm -hmm. racism um so you know when we talk about this it's not like we're trying to vilify we're trying to untangle ourselves from all these preconceived notions because even me when i use that term white i'm you know it's like the word Native American. It's used to describe the collective. Mm-hmm. But I do know that white people, and this is something that I'm always saying, you know, like, okay, well, then you need to stop saying this too because you're not just white. Um, white is an idea. Yeah. It's a concept. It's a term like Native American used to talk about the collective. But you're Irish, you're British, you're French. You have an inherent identity. You have an inherent language. And you need to look about how coming to this country, you were forced, your ancestors, you know, like our ancestors, um, were forced to give up their identity. They were forced to give up their languages. They were, for, they, you know, there was prejudice against mm-hmm. Irish Americans. You know, there was prejudice against um, Italian Americans. There was. And, you know, just like Native Americans were going through these assimilative um, policies, those were also in place for all these different groups as well. Um, So, you know, of course. Hello, we need to have nuance here. Uh, You know? Yeah. Yeah, nuance is so important. I feel like... I don't understand why it's so hard. Like... Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, it's not... Life is not binary. It's not black or white. It's not you know, native versus white, like, it's just, it's, yeah, it's gray, and yeah. Yeah, and you know, and there's good and bad in every culture, and in every person, mm-hmm. um, but I think the world is not these... split between good people and death eaters. <laughs> that, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly, and it's like, you know, we could come together, we could talk about this, we can hash it out, and when we start these conversations, 
that's what mm-hmm. we want to happen. We want to hash it out. We want to work through it and figure out, okay, well, what can we yeah. do better? Um, not just for Native Americans. You know, like this isn't just benefiting Native Americans. You know, this is benefiting other people as well because it's helping them to understand that, oh, hey, you know, these people exist. Or, hey, look how cool this culture is. Um, and we just need to do better as human beings for each other. And that's what we're doing when we have these conversations. It's not like we're saying, oh, hey, you're evil. Or, hey, you're good, so, you know, you can stand at this cool table with us. Um, But it's just about having these conversations of how we could do things better. Um, Because, obviously, she could. Um, She came out with this little part here um, that was, to me, fabulous. Like, this is how it could have been done. Yeah, it was still problematic, but nothing is going to be perfect. But this is, like, 20... Actually, I'm going to say a thousand times better than installment yeah, one yeah. three, um, in terms of the way that she described these things. And yeah, of course, you know it negated all the horrible things that were happening to Native people at this time, and you know it kind of marginalized even the brutality of what it was like to be an early American. Um, you know, because she skipped over the genocide mm-hmm. of Native people, she skipped over you know slavery, she skipped over all these different things, but. At the same time, you know, here's this one little section, just three sentences, and this is how it should have been done. Yeah. If only we could just expand it all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like some kind of spell and, and you like, just, like, tap those sentences and be like, I don't even know, something to make it better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just like this, this, yeah. you know, it's like she was capable of it, and we know she's capable of it because look at the rest of the mm-hmm. Harry Potter universe. Um, and yeah, and you know, even that's not perfect. You know, there are other stereotypes, you know, um, Seamus, mm-hmm. you know, Cho, uh, you know, there are these other things, pro- little problems in this other world, but nothing so just like blatant. egregious. Yeah. 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 And we, and you know, and it's great, you know, like if people want to call those problems out, then, Hey, I'm going to stand with you because, you know, I think that we all ha- should have a say in how we are represented and to make sure that we are being represented properly and in a way that doesn't vilify each other because that's where all this division comes from. And it's just, you know, not listening, um, not learning, not acknowledging that, you know, yeah, we're real people. Um, This may be a fictional universe, but what you're writing, you know, because of that global scale, because it is such a beloved franchise, it has a real world impact. Um, Well, talking about learning and stuff, you know, you mentioned one... um, uh, book. Uh, is there are there any other like stories or writings by Native American, like by Native people, or um, that are kind to Native or not kind? What is the word I'm thinking of? Respectful. Respectful of the Native experience <laughs> that um, fans should look yes. out for, and like to, especially if they're looking to learn more um, or just want to read some read. cool stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I put a list of Native authors um, because we have some wonderful Native authors. Um, Talent is not in short supply in any community, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know. But within the Native community, you know, we have, and a lot of people, you know, again, they're saying, oh, what, you don't want to be represented as science fiction or, you know, you're not um, cool with fiction. Um, Well, check out Moonshot. It's a graphic novel and these are stories created by native graphic artists, native storytellers, and they talk about, you know, natives and science fiction, but they also bring in our traditional knowledge as well and talk about our current past, 
um, histories in a way that is powerful. You know, they're fiction. They tell these stories. And um, there's also an anthology of indigenous, it's called a Walk the Clouds, um, an anthology of indigenous science fiction. That's absolutely amazing. Um, but we also have native comic books. Um, there's one, we have uh, Tales of the Mighty Code Talkers. We have um, Captain Paiyu. We have Kagagi, Kagaji, um, and you know, and we do have we have native native comic books. You know, we have superpowers. <laughs> um, we're not saying we can't be magical, um, but there's a way to do that that doesn't bring back bring it back to like these stereotypes of the mythical, um, magical or nature loving native right stereotype that you often see you know like there's a way to do this and a way that it can be done in a powerful and um in and in a way that resonates with other people as well as our own community that we're we're like oh hey look we're being represented and it's not horrible um (laughs) you know there's a way to do this but you know like look at how our native authors are doing this stuff um you know there's a it's more nonfiction, but there's a great anthology, too, called Dreaming in Indian, um, which does talk about what it is to be Native in these different fields. Um, you know, it talks with a lot of musicians, um, artists, you know, people who are um, doing some wonderful things that are content creators. Um, but, there, I mean, there's these wonderful stories that we have by Native authors, and I have a whole list on my Twitter okay. timeline. I think I saw um, it. To gonna, yeah. <laughs> we'll link to it just yeah. so that people could, our listeners could uh, look it up. Yeah, because, you know, like right off the head, I mean, if you like poetry, uh, my friend Tanea Winder, she just published her first book of poetry, mm-hmm. and it took me a month to get through it because it was so um, powerful especially when it because it speaks to the experience of mm. native women uh, more i think um so it took a while for me to get actually get through it because every time i was reading something like i would start like oh my god this is <laughs> it right. resonates too much um so like it took me a month to get through it and like even now like i'm trying to write a review for the book but it's it brings up a lot mm-hmm. of emotion um because you know like a lot of these issues you know they have they impact us in such profound ways and you know like in like you mentioned earlier you know there was a 102 year old woman dancing with the Mm -hmm. president and you know like her family when she talks about her history or the life experiences um you know they witnessed this because she's still alive this isn't something that was she heard um you know this is something that they witnessed their grandmother going through um the same way with native communities you know we we still have our ancestors we still um, know them <laughs> you know it's not something like oh you know like oh this relative way back when um, you know we have a connection to them because they're part of our mm-hmm. now um, and especially with our elders you know we've seen them struggle through some of this you know my grandpa um, he was in an orphanage and he had siblings that were they were all separated into orphanages boarding schools and um, they spent their lives trying to find each other wow and, you know, they, and they all had these horrible experiences. You know, they were brutalized in these orphanages and in these board, boarding schools. You know, they were terrible places. Um, and when my grandpa died, 
that was when they were finally able to reconnect with the last sibling that they'd been looking for. And he just happened to see the obituary. And so he showed up at the funeral. So, you know, when we're talking about how these policies affected people, how racism, how all these horrible things affected our people, you know, this is something that we witness. Um, It's not something that we hear about just secondhand and we use for our own gain. You know, this is something that we witness and we live through as well because, you know, um, growing up, you know, I was there when they would find these siblings, when he would find a new brother and he's like, okay, you know, I found my brother. And, you know, I know that, you know, like I was there to witness this and meet these people. Um, One of his siblings, my grandpa, Josh, you know, between him and my grandpa, you know, they were like my favorite Mm -hmm. people in the whole wide world. Um, and if it hadn't been for these policies that had been enacted to assimilate native people, you know, he would have been a part of my life. Um, so, and it wouldn't have been under those conditions where it was just for a short time. Um, but you know, like we experience these things. And so that impact that we're talking about, it's not rhetoric. It's not, um, hypothetical, this is something that we live through and that we experience on a daily basis, and which is why we talk about it, which is why we talk about the harm, because we've seen how it impacts our ancestors. We know how it impacts us in the present, and we know how it's going to impact our youth. And that's why we speak out against these issues. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay, so... Um... Yeah, so just, you know, going off of that, so where can we find your work? Are there any, is there anything you want to, like shout out or promote or like let us know what's going on yeah well if you want to learn about natives in the now um and Mm -hmm. see what's going on tribe called geek if you're a nerd or a geek um a tribe called geek.com is where you'll find us um if you're into fashion or even just want to keep up on current events native max magazine um nativemaxmagazine.com we're the first native fashion magazine um so we cover a lot of native fashion. If you love native designs, go here. Um, support our native fashion designers. Um, and even if you're looking to learn more about, you know, like the issues that affect us, what's going on in the Indian community, um, nativenewsonline.net, wonderful place to keep up with native news. Um, and if you're looking for just anything else dude native people's magazine um in in country today um there is no shortage of native publications out there where you can learn about um native people now um and if you're looking for native voices you know twitter just type out you're looking for someone in a certain tribe because we all use our tribal hashtags um Mm -hmm. so if you're looking for someone who wants to tell a story about apache people just use the hashtag Apache and Apache's going to see it out there. <laughs> right. Okay. You know? So it's like, we're out there people. So look us up and see who we are beyond the stereotypes because mm-hmm. we are not Tiger Lily or Pocahontas or Cocoam or Tonto or Kimosabi. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Okay. So, um, we do this thing at the end of, um, our shows where, um, we nominate like, well, usually it's for a chapter, but since it's a bonus episode, just, like, for the episode. So we nominate, like, a, the real MVP. So it's, like, who won and then um, who's benched, so who lost. So Or who lost the most. Or who lost the multiple losers there, sometimes. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. <laughs> who lost the most. I think, like, in our last episode, I had to take a tally so that I could, like, figure out who, like, really lost. But, um, yeah, so we wanted to see, like, who you would nominate as the real MVP 
for this episode or just like what we've been talking about <laughs> like well, I think the MVP would be the portrayal of Jacoba Wolf. <laughs> okay. You know, because yeah. this, that was how it should have been done. That's a good example. It's not perfect, still problematic, but gosh darn it, it was the closest thing to um, perfection. <laughs> you know, that you could get from a non-native. Um, yeah. Of course, they're not going to be perfect, but you right. know, this is the closest thing, and it was really done well. But I would give it up for Chicago here. All right. What about you, Bayana? Um, oh, man. I always I thought you were going to go Okay, first. I'll go. I'll go. Um, <laughs> think about so it. So my start. MVP is Potterheads, because I think we got to learn a lot. And I, even though I was sad and still sad about like the stuff I think that Potter had stood up and proclaimed what we would accept and what we wouldn't accept and then we learned from each other um so Potter heads that were willing to learn open-hearted and open-minded yes that's, that's a good one yeah. um hmm okay I think I think I'm going to nominate you, Johnny. Yeah. <laughs> Johnny's a real MVP coming like, in. Oh, yeah, yay. because I feel like this this episode was, like, awesome. And I feel like we had a really awesome conversation. It was dope. And, yeah, hopefully, like, let's cross our fingers that, like, <laughs> Joe, like, hears it and is like, oh, maybe I should change some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> find that yeah. spell. Like. And you know, and it's so awesome. I've never been a B- MVP before because I was <laughs> the one who actually really worked hard one time to work my way up to a starter for basketball. Yeah, and right you before did. the game, I fell off the bench and broke my ankle. So, oh, no. <laughs> that's oh, as athletic man. as I got. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. So who are we benching? Johnny, would you like to uh, bench someone? I would like to bench Slytherin here. Um, and when I say Slytherin, I mean all the people out there who, um, for some reason, think that, you know, it's a personal attack on J.K. Rowling and mm-hmm. who have been just spitting this horrible vitriol. Um, but, yeah, I'd like to bench all those people because, hello, if you'd listen to the conversation and really take the time to read what everyone was saying, mm-hmm. um, you know, we weren't, it, we weren't trying to vilify her. And, you know, like you said, like, Potterheads rose up here. You know, they are MVPs because for the most part, on my end, and I know on also on um, Adrian Keene and some of the other people who have been speaking out, you know, for the most part, there has been a lot of support and a lot of people saying, oh, hey, you know, I never thought about this before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. I bench the people kind of just not taking the time. And really, I think it just comes to, okay, I'm going to bench the trolls. Yeah, <laughs> trolls in the dungeons. <laughs> and, and I'm also gonna bench that hashtag they came out with, the triggering. Oh, <laughs> what? Oh, you guys wow. missed the trigger. I think I missed that. I missed that. It was. Um, tr- it was trigger. I saw it the other day, and I was like, "What is that?" For- I thought it was a movie, but then earlier I read an article about it, and I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah." So definitely benching the trolls out there. Okay, <laughs> I am benching Warner Brothers because I feel like. <laughs> If not for the love of money and not the love of the world, we wouldn't have had to go through this. And um, Pottermore can hopefully go back to its original purpose and mission of, you know, just giving us insights into the world in a way that is out of love and interest for the world and not as 
promotion. Promotion for mm-hmm. I mean, we're gonna go see it. Right. Yeah. Seriously. No one needs to worry we don't, about that. We don't need <laughs> like we're gonna go. As soon as, yeah. they, as soon as they said it was happening, happening. Like, we were all gonna it was like when she announced <laughs> um the cursed child and said that she was worried that no one was gonna go. And we're like, like what? Do you know who you are? Uh, exactly, <laughs> right? It's like, do you not know how much do you not know what a fandom is? Right. Yeah. <laughs> we, it, it, yeah, and you know, even with Fantastic Beasts, you know, we know this wasn't even a whole story. Yeah. Right. Um, you know that all of this is created just because they wanted to further this franchise by making mm-hmm. it into a movie. So we know this is all kind of like last minute. Okay, I'm going to have to turn this into a story now. Um, so we know that. We're, we're still going to go see we're it. We're still going like, to go. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like all of this was unnecessary. It was like so it could have been cool, but epic fail yeah like yeah it would have only been great if it had worked but like it didn't and so <laughs> it was just she really could just take it down and be fine but yeah like, <laughs> yeah I'm, that's why i'm i'm gonna bench i'm gonna bench joe because um she didn't need to write it if she wasn't really gonna take like the real like thought and care into it um then there was no point. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. The thing that I think the thing that has made Potterhead stick around so long and had this fandom has a life that it has is like what you said. Like she thought about everything, you know, and we mm-hmm. always everyone that I know that loves Harry Potter the way that I do and the way that the three of us do, like the thing that we're all so in awe of is how much thought she put into every detail. So to not do that here is just like we know like you said we know what you're capable of yeah. you didn't need to do it, it you, yeah you could have said nothing <laughs> yeah. yeah pretty much <laughs> it's like you had us hooked with the first seven books <laughs> in a way that is a lifelong commitment um you know i think some of us are even more committed to the fandom than we would be to our partners even um but you know like hello this was unnecessary you had us <laughs> we'd go and see anything at this point yeah yeah it's it's a problem yeah <laughs> like i just yeah i'm hoping she'll do better yes yes yeah. and we know she's capable of it so yeah. do better you know yeah. Well, thank you so much for taking yeah. the time out to talk to us and to, you know, give us your perspective on the uh, extra content and what it meant to you as a Native person. I think that I've I've learned a lot and there's a lot more that I'm going to learn and I'm definitely going to look into um, more about these issues. And now I feel like I have a good source with, you know, a tribe called Geek um, and other things that you've mentioned, but... We're really appreciative. We, you know, I love... My book list has expanded. It's, it's so long it's now. It's already long. It was already the long. Two show, like the two-read show. Even more. It's out of control. Very excited but, about that. Yeah, I mean, I exactly. There's, there's nothing but excitement here for the things that are I'm going to consume. Um, and yeah, just thank you so much because I think that it was really important to the both of us that we had someone from the Native perspective to, like, you know add some depth into what we were just like we were disappointed but we couldn't fully understand the level of disappointment that comes from you know having your your culture misrepresented or disrespected in this way so um thank you yeah (laughs) well thank you for having me it was fun yeah (laughs) very fun it was all right hope you have a great day all right you too
Um, so on, thank you for listening. Um, on Wednesday, we will resume our regular schedule um, and we'll be discussing chapter 11 of Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, The Dueling Club. Um, please make sure to read and follow along. Um, if you want to join the conversation on Twitter, you can at us at WeBlackAndNerds, hashtag wizard team. Also, make sure to check out our website. New posts go up Tuesdays and Thursdays. And if you want to submit um, or contribute, you can email us at weblackandnerds at gmail.com. The website's blackgirlsnerdout.com. And again, you can find us on Facebook at Black Girls Nerd Out, Twitter at weblackandnerds, Bayana's at Yana underscore Hallows, and I'm at Robin underscore Ravenclaw, Robin with a Y. And... Yeah, Facebook, Black Girls Nerd Out, Instagram, Black Girls Nerd Out, Tumblr, Black Girls Nerd Out, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um, and thanks, guys, so much uh, for sticking with us this bonus episode. We will see you for the On Dueling Wednesday. Club. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. <laughs>